Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Amen. And please be seated. Good morning, Journey Church. I am amazed at how many people keep coming and uh, keep joining us in person. I'm surprised to find out how many of y'all have uh, either checked us out online or even when you were away during the COVID season, you were actually there at home, either watching us live, live stream, or uh, checking us out. Some of you even talking about binge watching. And uh, so I'm just amazed and uh, grateful to be a part of such a fun and cool church that's so committed to the Lord and committed to his, his truths. Um, listen, before we go any further today, we want to stop and we want to pray for Ukraine. And uh, in order to set that up and to do that, my dear friend Glenn Elliott, who is the former senior pastor at Pentano Christian Church, that's a good friend of mine. Uh, many people don't know that he spent uh, well over a decade, I think somewhere around 16 years, as a missionary in Ukraine. And uh, Glenn Elliott was a part of leading thousands of Ukrainians to faith in Christ. And he was a part of planting a Bible college um, in a border town that's now being controlled by the Russians. And I got an email, um, so many people know that about Glenn, he sent out a, a big email to, to a lot of us and said, hey, here's my take. He, he is an expert on Ukraine and, and Russian policy and history. So I want to just read this from him, and it's not just about the politics, it's about what's going on in the, in the churches and Christians that he knows by name. He writes, my friend Pavel gathered 40 abandoned babies and took them to the church basement and got the women of the church to care for them 24-7. He says, a former student of mine, now a pastor and army chaplain for the Ukrainian army, was warned that he is a target, but I just saw a video of him sharing Christ to a crowd of people. Another church in the city I served in Kyrgyzstan has filled their basement with folks hiding from the bombing. These are folks of real faith who are serving others in the name of Jesus at great personal risk. May God keep their faith strong. And then he shared in that email what he is praying on a daily basis. I'm using that as a model of what we're about ready to pray together. So if we could stop and we could pray, um, and we're going to pray for Putin, we're going to pray for the Russian people, we're going to pray for the Ukrainians, and we're going to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters that are staying behind and serving uh, their people as this horrific thing takes place. Would you bow with me? Lord, the first thing that we want to come come to you with in the name of Jesus is for uh, Vladimir Putin himself. Lord, we know that, that whether it's just totally fake or if it's a political maneuver or there's something in him that is friendly toward the Russian Orthodox Church and history, uh, knowing that he shows up on occasion for holidays and whatnot, Lord, at the same time, we know that he is far from, from grace and surrender. And so we just ask that you would do what would be unimaginable and seemingly impossible. Your word says that the heart of the king, though he is not a, a king, but Lord, in the position of a world leader, Lord, the, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord to do with as he, as he pleases, as with many waters. As you humbled Nebuchadnezzar, would you please humble Vladimir Putin? Secondly, Lord, for the people of Russia that are being gaslighted, most of whom, many who are not drinking the Kool-Aid, but most of whom are, are buying the narrative, pray for them that they would come to truth. Pray that those who are, are delivered by truth would stand against uh, this just catastrophic 
um, grievous crime. And that they would continue to be strong and protest their own government. Lord, we pray for the Ukrainian people that you'd give them faith and hope and resolve and grit as they defend their free land against violent oppressors and give them victory. Lord, for our Christian brothers and sisters that are not running in fear, some that, that that's the wise choice for them, but many who are staying behind, either fighting or ministering, would you give them faith and courage and hope and protection? Lord, great stories are being unfolded where the gospel, they, they, they love not their life even unto death. They are living in what, what to them are, can't be any worse than any of our end time narratives. They're actually facing, facing death in the sword. Would you give them comfort and courage and endurance to remain faithful? And we pray it together, and if you agree with that, please say amen. Yeah, for months, uh, there's been a buildup on the borders by Russian troops, and yet Vladimir Putin swore that he would not invade the Ukraine. And yet this last week, we saw that he literally tore up that peace deal, and he invaded Ukraine from the north and the south and the east. Uh, we are one people, Putin said. I am doing them a favor in delivering them from their Nazi political regime, he said. Russia simply cannot move forward in developing as a nation with such a dangerous threat emanating from Ukraine. The truth is that 14 former Soviet states since the fall of the Iron Curtain have been accepted into NATO. 14. And Ukraine wants in as well. And so this is the existential threat to Putin and Russia, is that more and more nations would actually want to westernize, to actually have free elections, and to live in freedom. That's the existential threat. That is not the way of Putin. See, Putin uh, grew up in a very loyal Soviet family. Many of his relatives dying in the Second World War and other Russian operations. Vladimir himself uh, began reading Marx, Engel, and Lenin when he was 12 years old. He served for 25 years as a, as a KGB operative. And while he may not believe in the dream of Karl Marx, that is to say he is not a pure socialist, he absolutely agrees with the methodology of Karl Marx and Engels and Lenin. He believes in revolution. He believes in violence. He believes in control. He does not believe in freedom of speech. He exercises a KGB-like control over the media. This is why he's able to gaslight, attempting to gaslight his own people and even the rest of the world with a false narrative. And again, while many Russians do not believe the narrative, most of them actually do. I'm no expert on Russian history or policy, but I do know this. Ideas have consequences. 
ideas have consequences, whether it's Marx, Engels, uh, and I'm sure Nietzsche's in there as well. These ideas have been percolating. Putin, in his mind, has ideas driving what he is willing to do. These ideas being spread across Russia have the power to keep people in line. People believing this narrative that an existential threat, they belong to us anyway. Ideas have consequences. Ideas percolating in our hearts and minds over time have the ability to do, to drive us to do things that at one point we would say are unthinkable and unimaginable. But you take those ideas far enough and you end up with what we see. And it's not just a problem in Europe, Eastern Europe, in Asia. It's a problem in here. I've said it before, I'll say it again, but you sow a thought, you sow that thought long enough and eventually it turns into an action. And then you go sow those actions over time and those actions become habits. You get stuck in a habit and that actually becomes your lifestyle. It actually begins to permeate your character. And some of you know what I'm talking about. In sinful addictions, things that you said, I'll never become that, I'll never do that. And yet here you are, and it's your very character now is permeated by things you never said you would do or be about. Addictions and habits and dirty little secrets. And you live that lifestyle, and it absolutely impacts your destiny. Ideas have power. So we must be on guard against untrue, unwholesome ideas and we must be individuals who, who per pursue good ideas, clean ideas, holy ideas, godly ideas, beautiful ideas. And if I could sum all those up with this, true ideas, God's ideas. And this is how Peter ends his second letter to those first century Christians Last week I told you that this is, it was uh, part one of a two-part uh, mini-series within a larger sermon series on 2 Peter. And because of that, I want to read once again all of the scripture. Um, I'll try to tell you, the, the line of demarcation is halfway between verse 16. But I want you to get the flow of thought in what Peter is doing because um, both sides of this conversation are, are essentially important. Both sermons are essentially important. So here we go. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, and that is to say the end times to unfold, the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, since you are waiting for these, be, diligently, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these matters. Now here's the line of demarcation right here. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. 
You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Like I said, this is part two. Last week, part one, the bottom line went something like this. These are not the days of judgment and wrath. These are days of grace and salvation. And, and we see that show up in here in, in verse 15. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. That we are not the judge, jury, and executioner. It is not our primary job to be, be agents of judgment and condemnation. Judgment will come, and it's a good thing. But this is not the age of judgment. This is the age when Jesus is inviting every single person, including Vladimir Putin, to repent and come to faith. A personal saving faith, a personal transforming faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is our primary objective. So many things that we can speak out against and be, be on the warpath about. But we are first and foremost here at Journey Church gospelists. There's lots of error out there. There's lots of political agendas. Our first message is not where we stand on LGBTQ. That is a message, and that is important. Our first message is come and hear the gospel. We can deal with that other stuff next. So we are gospelists. We believe in days of grace and salvation. But here's the deal. That's a guardrail to keep us from going extreme. No, man, we got to take it back. We need to fight in the public arena. Well, we need to speak in the public arena. But first, we need to see the transformation of human hearts. And that's a guardrail right there. First things first, gospel first. But here's what can happen. We can be people, and, and by the way, half of you are going, yeah, yeah, no judgment, no shame, no condemnation, acceptance and love. And here's what can happen. We can suspend critical thinking and be so afraid Affirming and gracious that we walk or drive right off the highway on the other side of the road. We drink the Kool-Aid. So these two absolutely must be taken together and they're held in tension that we are first and foremost gospelists. This is the age of grace and salvation. Our first message is not sin, 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 wrong, 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 dumb, stupid, icky. We're saying, come to Christ. Come to church in here. Meet my Jesus. But that doesn't mean we drink the Kool-Aid, and we have to have this other guardrail over here, and that is this. Ideas matter. Ideas have consequences. We don't want to drink the Kool-Aid. We don't want to be so openly accepting and affirming and so sloppy gracious that we end up careening off the highway on the other side. And that is part two this morning of our sermon, Judgment, Salvation, Stability, and Grace. So we want to dive back into the central text, and I want to reread that, <clears throat> maybe with some commentary. Actually, this, this time I think I, I left some of my notes in my text 
You see the, uh, the, the quotes there? Um, there are some things in them, this is interesting, that um, Peter's going to talk about both guardrails, and the inflection point is him talking about Paul and Paul's writings, and that they are scripture. 51 times in the New Testament, uh, this word for scripture is used, and 49 times it's talking about the full authority of the Old Testament scriptures. Two times it's used for New Testament writings. One of them is right here, and Peter is actually saying Paul's writings are the same authority as the Old Testament scriptures. That the first century church understood that there was new scriptures coming out in that era, and Paul's writings were included in those scriptures. It's a powerful thought that's buried in this. But it's Paul's writings and talking about Paul that is the hinge point where Peter goes from talking about grace and salvation to, oh, here's the other guardrail. Some things in them, not all things, are difficult or hard, not impossible to understand. Because of that, doesn't mean you can't understand them or that we, we shouldn't try. But what happens is that there are individuals that take that as an opportunity to twist them into meaning something they don't mean and come up with false ideas about them. And by the way, they do that with all the other scriptures as well because it works for them. So there's something that they're after when they do. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, but, but they twist those things. Find it interesting in the original language that, that for the, the word for twisting um, is in the present active indicative, meaning they are doing this on purpose. There is volition in why they are twisting Paul's scriptures and the Old Testament. They're choosing this because it's doing something for them. And then he goes on to say, Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, you see prognosis, is pro prognostikos in the Greek. And um, it's the idea of, you, you know it beforehand, you've, you've gone to the doctor, you have precancerous cells in your esophagus. Stop drinking coffee. Stop eating gluten. Or whatever else is, is causing that. You know now. Change your diet. You have a prognosis. You can do something about it now. He's warning us. There is twisted ideas out there in the church. Beware of that. You have a prognosis. And that's the word. Take care that you are not carried away. Take care is present middle imperative. That means to commandment. Imperative. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people. Why? Because ideas have consequences. And their error can seep into you. What can happen is you get carried away and lose your own stability. Beware. And then verse 18, but grow. This, this verb is present active imperative as well. It's a command. I mean, we, we like to think, hey, God, God's just going to grow me. And, but Peter's saying, do it. You do it. Grow. Get after it. 
grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Here's a bottom line that uh, we can do. It's fill in the blank on your, on your notes. But if I was to put this together, I would say this. Because ideas have consequences. Because ideas have such grave and enormous consequences. Little ideas over time can lead to redemption and salvation or, or destruction. Because ideas have consequences, I must intentionally cultivate true ideas. And I broke up the entire universe into three categories. Jesus, self, and reality. Jesus, self, and reality. Yeah, enormous consequences. In the text here in verse 17, Peter uses this, this word for carried away. Carried away. It was uh, just two months ago in Australia that six children, ages 11 and 12, actually the same age that Putin was when he started reading Marx. These six children, ages 11 and 12, were at a school picnic when a strong wind came and picked up the bouncy castle that they were jumping in, playing in. Swept it up to an elevation of 32 feet and dumped them out out upside down eight kids actually six of them died overwhelming tragedy to happen in our own state a few years ago it was up in mesa bouncy house high winds swept up they're not anchored they're not tethered i mean it's a it's a heavy story it's a true story you can look these up but why would i tell that such heavy story as this False ideas about God, self, and reality are, are like improperly anchored bouncy houses. We're saying it's, it's, they're not hurtful, they're not harmful, it's no big deal. Lots of people believe a lot of different things on a lot of different ideas, okay? And we, we entertain those ideas. There's a reason why we want to do that that we'll get to in a moment. But here's the danger. An untethered bouncy house and a strong wind comes. And the end is destruction. Whereas Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount at the end, you're familiar with it, Matthew 7, anyone who hears these words of mine. Jesus was an expert on himself, on us, and on reality. And Jesus said, anyone who hears these words and does them is like a wise man that built his house on the rock. It is tethered to the rock. And guess what? A strong wind comes. And yet the house stands firm. And he goes on to tell the negative side, anyone who hears these words of mine and does not listen to them or do them is like a foolish man in an untethered bouncy house in a strong wind. You hear the truth and you say, eh, partly. I like this part about it, not that part. I'll, I'll pick and choose, and again, there's a reason why we are attracted to this. But Jesus says, you do that, you're playing with a storm. And the wind is going to come, and when it comes, how great is the destruction. 
false ideas about God, self, and reality are like building on sand or playing in an untethered bouncy house in a windstorm. So what do we do about this? What are we to do as Peter ends his letter and he says, yes, days of grace and salvation, but don't forget, look what they do with Paul's writings. They twist them to their own destruction. Be careful that you're not carried away by them. And the reality is, I think, to a greater or lesser extent, every single one of us has already let something untrue in. We're not, we're not the final word on all things Christ and Christianity. American Christianity, even if we go, but not that kind, but we're still a kind. We have blind spots. Do you know yours? What is what the, the Germans called the Weltanschwang, or worldview? What is your worldview? Is it, is it thoroughly saturated with the scriptures God's true revelation of reality? Or are there things that are twisted that you're buying into? Why? Because it works for you. There's something that you want, and if I can ignore that or change that a little bit or nuance it, I can get more of what I think I need or deserve or want. How do we guard against this? Because the end is a destiny, and the end is when it's false ideas, the end is destruction. So what do we do here? Well, Peter says first, if we're going to cultivate true ideas, we're going to have, to have to begin with being on guard against false ideas. And this is what he says in verse 17. You know this beforehand. We already looked at what that word means. Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. They're already destroyed or they're heading toward destruction. Don't think there's not consequences for us. Even if we love Jesus, we've received Jesus, we've been forgiven by Jesus, there's still a potential for losing our stability. So here's the fill in the blank. Be on guard against appealing, and I chose that word on purpose, appealing twists on true doctrine. Take care. It's uh, the idea of a military garrison or a military guard. It's a checkpoint. You're an armed guard and you're serious as a heart attack that you're not going to let untruth into your life. See, it takes an attitude that says, I want the truth even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it calls for me to repent. I'm going to take care or be on guard and why, why is it so, are they so pernicious? Why are they so dangerous? Why are they appealing? Why? Because a slight variation on true, biblical, Christ-centered Christianity many times can play to my own ego, my own longings that may or may not be godly. It might be fleshly longings that are perverted and twisted by sin. It might be good longings, but we just want what we want when we want it. We don't want to wait for God. Trust him for his timing. So we don't want to repent. We don't want to submit. We don't want to wait. And so sometimes these ideas seep in. They're appealing to us. They do something for us. We've talked about this. When a, when a person lives and their belief system does not match their behaviors, you cannot hold those two things in tension for very long. 
And either you will change your thinking to match your behavior, or you will change your behavior to match your thinking. Better to start with truth and come humbly and submissive and repentant to the Lord and to his word and say, God, I'm not the expert here. I've got wayward longings and desires. I've got a time scale, a time frame. I want what I want. I want it now. I'm just admitting that, God, but I want to be surrendered to you. I want to wait on your timing if you even want to fulfill that desire in this lifetime. But many times we say, no, I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it in Jesus' name. So it's these false ideas that that actually work for us that we buy into. In like malware, running on your computer, you don't even know what's in there. It's running in the background of your computer. It's always polluting and perverting, slowing your computer down, stealing information. It's these false ideas that we let in that over time lead to behaviors and sometimes even to doing the unthinkable. One, one quick example is <clears throat> a mom. She is a born-again, evangelical, biblically astute, active follower of Jesus. One day, one of her children comes to her and says, Mom, I need to have a talk with you. I am gay. And now mom's world is thrown into an absolute whirlwind. She does not know what to do. And instead of holding intention, her her deep and profound love for her son and her deep and profound convictions that the word of God is true and reliable, she is now put at odds And she feels as if she needs to either disown her son or she needs to turn away from historical Christian orthodoxy. And how many times I've actually heard of or know of the mom completely committed to the scripture at one point, turn away from what the scripture says about human sexuality and just affirm her son's lifestyle. What does that do for her? It resolves a a tormentuous tension that's within her. She doesn't like this feeling. You know what? As parents, we're only as joyful as our most struggling child. True? You feel the pull. We never, and it gets worse as they start getting married and having children. Now I'm worried about my grandchild. And you have this tension going in there, and if I can get rid of that tension and just cave or capitulate or or condone or erase or or blame someone else, it just becomes easier instead of holding intention. Son, I love you. Nothing will ever, ever take me away from my love and commitment for you. But I have a higher allegiance, and I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hold to my convictions, and I want you to know We're going to be in relationship, but what you are doing in the choices you're making do not match God's best for your life. It doesn't take a child coming out, though, to discover the kinds of deals we're willing to cut with false teaching. 
so many other topics. So the issue of wealth, I'm not going to get it. We probably need to do a whole series on that. But, but the way we view and, and think in the American dream and what we're really here for, and it's really about me and what I get to achieve instead of, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do with my stuff? How is that reflected in, in how I give to the Lord and his kingdom and the church and to charity? And yet, something about how we view wealth can get in there and pervert the way we live. And on so many other topics. This is why the Apostle Paul would say to a young pastor, Timothy, uh, check this out. 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself. That's your character. But remember, character is formed by ideas over time, right? Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Ideas. Biblical ideas. If you persist in this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That we want to pay attention to. We want to resist and be on guard. Keep a close watch on our behavior and on our ideas. So that's first. Now Peter not only states this negatively, addressing what we must be on guard against, but tells us, and also proactively, that we are to proactively pursue something. And our, our walk with Christ and our faith is not primarily about what we're against, but primarily about what and who we are for. So yes, be on guard, but even more, grow. That's the imperative in Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever to the day of eternity. Amen. We are to actually take responsibility. The, the word for grow, um, again, imperative, a commandment. Go do it. In the two areas, grace and knowledge. Grace and knowledge. That's the character and the teaching. These go together. I love 1 Timothy 1.5. The goal of the instruction, same idea, the body of information of Christianity, the goal of that is, is to be really smart and to be able to beat each other in an argument. Is that what it says? No, it says the goal of the instruction is love that issues from a pure heart, a clean conscience, and a sincere faith. Information, knowledge, the doctrine is supposed to transform our character. And that's where, where character formation comes from. Truth and beautiful ideas empowered by the Holy Spirit through the scriptures change our hearts. And by that we grow not only in knowledge, in an understanding, in our, in our cognitive abilities, but our very character begins to be transformed. I've had this thought. I, I don't know if I was talking about this. This has been a major theme. Like, there's sometimes that I want, I want my, my transformation in Christ to show up by being faced with a really difficult decision. Why? Because it's only in those, those difficult moments of temptation that I choose the right thing, that I feel like I'm doing something. But here's the other interesting thing. When I walk with Christ over time, how many temptations, how many instances do I just do the right thing without even knowing there's a wrong thing because I've actually been transformed 
that it is unthinkable now to even be tempted by two choices in a clutch point of life. And this is the beauty of what Peter's saying is grow in grace and knowledge. So much so that when you come to the point where for others it'd be a huge temptation to lie or cheat or take something that's not yours, it's like you wouldn't, it doesn't even cross your mind because now you are actually becoming like Jesus. So things that were once were temptations are no longer even a thought. How cool would that be to be conformed to the image of Christ where you don't even think there's a choice anymore because there's only what you do and who you are? That's what I believe Peter is talking about here. And if we look at the whole letter of Peter, we'll do more review next week, but, but how powerful has this been in, in all the deep, rich truths in chapter 1 before he starts talking about these false teachers and false teaching? And just to take you back a little bit, this is not a new theme that he's ending the book with. In verse 3 and 4, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life, life and godliness. So you can't say, but I can't. He goes on to say that they're, they're granted all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. It's a growth in our understanding and taking in the truths of the scriptures. Who called us by his, or to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. By the way, those are found in the scriptures. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. What does it mean to grow in grace and knowledge? To more and more over time to become partakers of the divine nature. Where God is actually now living his life in your life. And you are more like God, more like Jesus than you've ever been before. Are you growing in grace and knowledge and becoming a partaker of the divine nature. The idea here is to take responsibility. It's an opportunity, but take, take responsibility for your own uh, growth and development spiritually. This showed up in verse 5 in chapter 1. For this very reason, make every effort. This is really hard for us. Let go and let God. It's God that's doing this. What, I don't want to turn to, to, to flesh-based, works-based uh, anxiety-driven, I don't want to do that. And we're so afraid of that that we miss the clear mandates to take responsibility, to make effort, to show up. You know, I think Paul really explains this well in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you go, oh, we got to muscle it out and we got to be scared. But notice the next verse in Philippians 2, verse 13 he says, work it out, and then he goes to, on to say, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So here's the idea. Don't push back against what God is already doing. Show up and partner with him in it. He's the one, and it's his grace that is growing you, that is teaching you, that is transforming you. Don't work against it. I know repentance is hard. Oh, it's so hard. God gives you a faithful spouse. You blow up at the kids and your faithful spouse goes, hon, big eyes. Oh, I, I can't stand with you, husband. And you're like, yeah, but I just... And you know you should humble yourself and just say, you're right. I just blew it again. Can you pray for me? And instead we push back. Repentance is hard sometimes, isn't it? 
being called out because you're an idiot in how you behaved? It's hard, but you know what? It's always worth it. Always worth it. The restoration that you experience with whoever you offended, the, the picture of humility in owning your stuff, man, it'll heal any marriage, any friendship, any child-parent relationship over time. Repentance and humility. Show up. Don't fight against it. Repent. Go with God in it. Well, there's so much more, but I want to get to unpacking a little bit more of the bottom line. So let's go back to the bottom line really quick, and I want to pick on those three areas, Jesus, self, and reality. Because ideas have consequences, I must intentionally cultivate true ideas about Jesus, self, and reality. How do we do that? Well, we also saw that in chapter 2 Peter chapter 1, two verses, verse 16 and 19, when Peter's talking about his own walk with Christ and things that he saw when he actually walked physically with Jesus. He said, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths. We're not making this stuff up. He goes on to say, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses. We're not making this thing up, he says. And then two verses later, he says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's talking about the scriptures. He's talking about the Bible. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. It's profitable to listen to the scriptures to read the scriptures, to memorize the scriptures, to meditate on the scriptures, to study the scriptures, pay attention to the scriptures. Listen, we all come from a family, we all come from a nation, we come out of cultures that are not thoroughly Jesus-centered. So we're already preloaded with bad culture. It's only Jesus and his word that can fix it. Pay attention to the prophetic word more fully confirmed. I've said it before, we don't have a ghost of a chance of getting through this thing without being thoroughly saturated with God's word. And you know what? A sermon per week isn't going to cut it. There must be a time and a place where each one of us moves away from baby food and being spoon-fed and we begin to self-feed. We were one of, the, one of the most literate societies with more availability to the scriptures than any other culture in history. And yet many would look at the church in the West and say we are sick and anemic. What is that? And yet I would say through the scriptures and the power of just sitting with Jesus in the word of God, has the power to radically transform our thinking, which will radically transform our hearts and radically transform the way we actually live in real time with others. It's in three different areas, Jesus, self, and reality. Jesus is the central figure of the entire Bible. Next week, or actually in two weeks, we're starting a new ser sermon series leading up to Easter uh, called The Atonement. 
and its types and pictures and prophecies throughout all of the Old Testament scriptures, well, we don't have that many weeks to do all of them. We actually came up with a, a, a big list, and we had to choose our favorites. But places where Jesus shows up in metaphors, in examples, in typologies, he is the theme of the entire scriptures and our text today. This is how 2 Peter ends, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. If you're going to just get one thing right, get Jesus right. Secondly, self. Yeah, it's hard to hold in, in, in tension the reality about who we are as human beings. We are glorious, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, infinitely valuable, and dreadfully sinful, and dearly loved. Can you hold all sides of that in tension? Because that's the reality of the human condition. Jesus, self, reality. So much goes into that. It's um, classically called the study of metaphysics. What is reality? Tyler said it about himself. You've heard me say it. The reason why I too am a Christian is because it makes sense of the world as I actually observe and experience it. Not because my mom and dad said, you have to do this to be a rodent. Though there was good family peer pressure. But I went through my own series, uh, seasons of, of investigation and, and criticism and skepticism. And I came out the other side, you know what? There's no other worldview that explains the world and reality as I experience and observe it. And the scriptures tell me what is real. What is true? What is right? Hosea, God said through the prophet Hosea, Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. God's people destroyed because they're not being renewed and washed by truth. Proverbs 29, 18, it's one of the most twisted and misused uh, scriptures for leaders. It does not say where there is no vision, the peer, people perish. I mean, it's sort of in there, but, but we're not talking about leading uh, an organization. You've got to have big vision or the people are going to die. That's not what it means. Proverbs 29, 18 says where there is no prophetic vision, and that, what that means is scripture. Where there is not, this is why, why Wycliffe Bible translators are important. We must get the scriptures in the languages, the heart languages of people around the world. Because where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, willy-nilly crazy, and they destroy themselves. So we need this. Ideas have consequences. We need God's ideas in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our churches, in our culture, in our community, in our neighborhoods, and in our world. Because ideas have consequences. I, we must intentionally cultivate true ideas about Jesus, self, and reality. Lord, I ask that you'd put on each one's heart how we are going to pursue more and more of you, how we are going to actually be on guard 
to be protected by knowing more of what's true, being able to, to, to spot the lie. Lord, we are, um, everyone has blind spots. And the entire Western church has its own particular set of blind spots. We're humble in that. We're acknowledging that. And we want to know that, Lord. We want to follow Jesus. We want to be apprentices of the master. We want to be godly from the heart. So, Lord, would you show us those lies? Would you lead us into all truth? Would you make us people that are hungry for the scripture, not just to say we read it and check it off a list, but because we're hungry for you. We're hungry for truth. We're hungry for life. And that you would use this in us, move us into being saturated with your truth and transform us as individuals, as a church, and as an entire community. We pray it in Jesus' name together. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.